Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you back to the Speckled Truth Podcast. Captain Chris here, joined by a very, very well-accomplished angler. And he's looking at me, and although he is uh, not quick to admit it, he is insanely accomplished here, uh, alone here on the Texas coast. And I'm joined by Mr. Leroy Navarro. And so, sir, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate this. Um, it's an honor to be on. Oh, no worries, man. Uh, again, we've been trying to kind of tee this up, and I really appreciate uh, really just having us over here, uh, over at your shop here in Corpus Christi. So, and just kind of getting this recording in. But um, we've been trying to do this for a long time. And the good thing is, is obviously through our kind of mutual friend, Mr. Lowell Odom, who kind of linked us up. But aside from that, I've been a student of the trout fishing game for a long time and looking at leaderboards uh, in the Saltwater Legends series. I talked about it in Chad Patrick's podcast. And Leroy Navarro and team are typically in the top uh, tier or at least in the top five typically in those events and so sir welcome to the podcast so before we get into any of the discussion because today's discussion we're going to talk a little bit differently uh, Leroy is kind of a specialist per se uh, in throwing corkies and so we're going to dissect some corkies both floating as well as sinking uh, corkies as well as uh, he's also a specialist that kind of sight fishing some speckled trout and so I'm interested to kind of hear this and kind of pick that apart as well. But before we get too far into it, Mr. Leroy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you uh, in, inviting me to do this. I'm honored again. It's just uh, to be in the group that you've interviewed so far is just tremendous fishermen with McBride and Mr. Watkins. They're just truly legends. So it's a great honor for me to be on, be uh, considered in that in that. Uh, company. I want to thank you for your service. I really appreciate what you've done for us. Thank, thank you for, for serving in, uh, it, in the Air Force. I know you're a major in the Air Force. And yes, sir. Really appreciate that. Oh, don't worry, sir. So I, my story is a little bit different than most of the guys that you've, you've interviewed so far had on the podcast. I didn't grow up fishing. I honestly, I just really didn't get it as a kid. Um, my first memory of fishing I was probably six years old um, at Mathis, and my brother always liked it. He always liked to get out and go fishing. He's two years older than I am, Lloyd. Lloyd, But um, he caught a uh, small bass and, and brought it up to show it off, and I asked him if he would let me hold it, and the first thing I did was grab it, run to the edge of the water, and threw it back in. And <laughs> so that's... That's the first sign of conservation for right, me. But absolutely. Yeah, I just I just didn't really get fishing. I grew up in the big city of Freer, okay. which kind of landlocked for uh, for saltwater, so I wasn't exposed to it too much. Um, but around 1990, well, I'm, let me back up a little bit. I um, moved to Corpus in '86, uh, married my my sweetheart, high school sweetheart, 
and been married for 30 years. Oh, congratulations, uh, sir. That's awesome. Thank Fantastic. you. Appreciate it. Be 31 in March. No so kidding. yeah. Yep. L- awesome. Awesome woman. Uh, lucky to have her. Um, she lets me do, you know, fishing the legend series. You're, you're gone four months out of the year, pretty much mm-hmm. fishing every weekend. So it can be, be pretty stressful. <clears throat> but anyway, um, when I moved to, to Corpus, I was playing softball with, uh, a couple guys that fish saltwater and they kept trying to get me to do it and trying to get me to do it. And I just, I wasn't interested at all. And in 1990, I went out with my brother he works on a big ranch outside of Freer and we got into some three pound bass. Mm-hmm. And it's a, that's really the first time that I thought, holy smokes, this is fun. You're right. And, um, after that I took Robert Oles, who, who was my, my, Fishing buddy and fishing partner for several years. We fished a lot of tournaments together. He was the one that, that I was playing softball with and finally got me to go with him and uh, started fishing with him and learned a tremendous amount about saltwater fishing and just got just totally hooked. Bought mm-hmm. my first boat that same year. Um, just it was hook, line, and sinker. I was done. I, I fell in love with it. I actually told my brother when he'd come fishing with me, he's going to throw all his bass rods all his bass bait (laughs) he's gonna throw it all away and come you know switch to salt water he still eat up with the bass fishing so he's really good at it he competes a little competitively from from time to time um good fisherman really really good fisherman has a good time when he comes down and fishes with me hadn't done it in a while thanks to this covid thing but um anyway um it's funny i used to go home on weekends um and visit the family, go by my brother's house, and, um, it, you know, Saturday or Sunday, whatever day it was, and he'd be watching Bassmasters. And I, I just, dude, there's got to be something on. There's yeah. got to be a baseball game, football, something. Why are we watching Bassmasters? Well, now I'm so eat up with it, I, I, I record it now. So <laughs> it's a big, huge transformation for me, but um, I'm, I just love it. I've got a true passion for it and just – Really, really love catching big trout. And, and so the competitive edge, though, right? I mean, alluding to kind of watching Bassmasters and watching kind of competitive fishing um, and having just uh, an, a very, very strong interest in that. And so were you kind of always, did you watch like an early Bassmasters classic or something along those lines that kind of drew you to wanting to compete no, in fishing? No, I, I think for me it was uh, – uh, meeting john gill so john's been a huge influence in in my fishing progression um i met him around 92 93 i was i was in the market for a boat and contacted tv tran over at transport boats and uh told him what i was looking at and he he gave me john gill's dr john gill's uh contact information so I reached out to him because he had a boat similar to what I was looking for. He said, man, he's a great guy. Reach out to him. Uh, maybe y'all can go out and fish, yada, yada, yada. So got a hold of John. He, he uh, wanted to meet me at his boat barn one day, one evening after work, and uh, we just hit it off. We talked about how we fished, what we did, how we did it, and just really hit it off. So the first time he and I went out, um, he just literally kick my tail I mean kick my tail I thought I knew what I was doing with Corky's but I had no freaking clue he just he's a master he's really good um so I've 
learned probably most of what I know now from, from fishing with John, John Gill. Gill. Yes, sir. I, I'm actually trying to get uh, Mr. John Gill, Dr. John Gill, is that correct? That's yeah, correct. On, uh, on the podcast because, I mean, he's come up a number of times through various interviews of how much of an impact he's truly had um, really to everyone in the industry, yep. uh, certainly here in, along the Texas coast. And so I'd love to have him in just because he seems to be somewhat of a, a true, true expert in terms of bit targeting big, big fish. So, um, now I know you're, uh, just meeting you, Mr. Leroy. I mean, you're an insanely humble, uh, gentleman, but again, we're here in your office and I'm just looking at the wall you're looking at me and i'm looking at your wall and it's basically uh what you got an 11 pound fish over there multiple nines uh plaques uh literally it's an entire wall full of plaques as well as a, a cabinet full of of trophies um first second stringers uh, you name it right and so tell me about though so that all started from one point tell me that first trout that you caught and kind of what really propelled you? Is there like a certain fish that really kind of, okay, I'm just going to target big fish and target big trout, that is? You know, I can't say that that there was just a defining moment that, that did it for me, but my first tournament, it was a charity tournament, small charity tournament, and um, we had, it was Wes Ali and I, Robert Olds and Troy Jones. It was the very first tournament I ever did, ever competed in. And I caught a 10-pound trout. I mean, just straight up, insane. 30 inches, 10 yeah. pounds. Rocky from from uh, Roy's Bait and Tackle was a weightmaster, and I just couldn't believe it. But uh, And in Ingleside, of all places. But um, Robert and Troy were concentrating on redfish, and Wes and I were, were on the on a shoreline, wading the shoreline. And I had just got to a, to a point and seen some, some mullet flipping. So I thought, well, you know what, this might be a good topwater bite. So I went ahead and tied, well, I was looking for my favorite spitting image and could not find the son of a gun. I don't know where I lost it, but mm -hmm. so I tied a different spitting image on and, uh, I don't know, three or four casts in, I hooked this fish and it's pulling drag and just great fight. And I'm thinking, eh, it's gotta be a redfish. I've never caught a trout that big, obviously up at that point. And, um, when she swam right next to me, oh my gosh, my heart just started thumping. So I, I just, I could not believe how the size of that trout. So long story short, I landed her. Um, shortly thereafter, I'm pretty pumped up and Wes is down 300 yards from me. He, did, he didn't see any of the commotion, but um, a bass boat comes in and just, just literally cuts my weight off. He just, yeah. anyway. So we get back to the boat, and um, Wes has a has a five pounder on the stringer, and he says, "Man, I think I think we're doing pretty good." He said, "I think we we're uh, we'll probably be leading in the trout." And I said, "You think it'll beat this one?" He's like, "Oh my God!" <laughs> so, so that you know, I guess that looking back now, I I hadn't really thought about it because, but just catching a trout of that magnitude, just such a special specimen, um, I just I think that just what did it for me. Right. Yep. It, and so that's obviously not the only double digit no, you have. You've had no. how many now? Quite a few, right? Five. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. I mean, uh, just uh, so, I, sir, I mean, I've, I've actually personally caught one that's that's double digits, and uh, you're right. I mean, it's totally a, a, a different specimen, and it's just remarkable to look at. And it's almost like you can't fathom the size of this fish. I mean, just from uh, girth to, to length, and so it 
you're like caught marveling at these fish. And so I, I can definitely empathize certainly with the heart racing and everything else. But now, um, one of the big things, and you alluded to it initially was your kind of, uh, outlook at least initially on conservation. And so were you always kind of into taking care of a resource or is that something that's also kind of transcended, uh, with the growth of you as an angler? Unfortunately, it's, it's transcended as a growth, as a growth as, as an angler. Um, you know, initially when we started, we kept, I'm not going to say we killed everything we, we caught, but we, we kept plenty of fish Mm -hmm. and I, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was probably mid nineties. We, we just, just know it's more fun just catching them. You don't have to kill what you're catching. Uh, Of course I do have some skin mounts on the Mm -hmm. wall. Two of them I tried to release and, and just would not, would not swim off. Uh, John Gill grabbed the 11 pounder and tried to revive her and she just would not swim off. So unfortunately she's on the wall. Um, but, um, yeah, I want to say probably mid, mid nineties, we just, as a group, it wasn't, you know, just one of us that focused in on it. We just decided, you know what, it's just not worth it. It, Mm -hmm. We've got to release some of these fish and we, we rarely killed big fish. I mean, we always, for the most part, we, we would always release fish, but anything we set a, set a rule, especially in my boat, anything over four pounds goes back in the water. And that's, that's been a rule for a long, long time. That's cool. And then obviously what you guys doing in legends now, uh, which has a, a pretty strong, actually it's the only way, right. I mean, to weigh those fish in live, right. For Absolutely. release and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's definitely something from a competitive edge. Cause I mean, I've, I've read fish, uh, or of tournament redfished and, and obviously they're a, you know, a much hardier fish, you know, in terms of transport and things of that nature. But, um, obviously with that, but most, you know, trout tournaments have always been kind of a catch and kill type deal. So, right. you know, participating in the legends and, and that kind of going hand in hand for you, that's, that's definitely awesome. Yeah. So, um, now one of the photos, it's kind of funny if you've Google searched your name, I don't know if you ever have, but, <laughs> Um, if you Google search your name, um, there's actually a picture that pops up and it's actually you and it's you holding a fish, basically vertical, vertical. You probably know which one that is, right? Yep. So don't, don't answer that yet. So, um, I saw that actually, and it was in, uh, L Scott Burry's book. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so as I was reading through that last night, kind of preparing for the show and things of that nature, I'm like, look at this fish. And so tell us a little bit about that fish, yeah, about that fu- picture. It's funny. I, that, that photo I've got two decent photos from from that trip, and um, one of them is where the, my fish is horizontal, and um, it was on it was a screensaver on my computer for a, for a long time. <laughs> yeah, and just through business, I've traveled places and you know pop my laptop open, and that's the first thing that comes up. And people would come up and look at us like, "Oh my gosh, it's a nice trout." So why aren't you smiling? <laughs> said, Man, let me tell you. So, and you probably read it in the book, but um, about 45 minutes prior to that, and we, and fishing with John Gill on that trip, it was just he and I, and uh, we got into some huge fish, just a awesome, awesome day, one I'll never forget. And uh, John caught and released 10 pounders, and we had eight pounders, seven pounders. I mean, we just had all, all solid, solid fish. And we hit a little lull. Um, probably around 10, 30, 11 o'clock, something like that, and got on the backside of this flat. And um, he, 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 for the most part, we were 
you know, 100 yards apart most of the morning. And at that time, we kind of circled back around, and we got pretty close to each other. And I'd had a, a good topwater bite this, that morning. And I told him, I said, you know, since I switched my front hook to a triple grip, mm-hmm. my hookup ratio, you know, my landing ratio is increased tremendously. He's like, really? Man, I never thought about that. And anyway, we're going on and, and just tied a new, new skitter walk on. And we're fishing. And all of a sudden, I look up, never saw a blow up, never heard the slurp, nothing. And I look up, and my lure's gone. No swirl, no nothing. That's just crazy. my lure yeah. is gone. So I set the hook, reel in, and of course, you know, like a lot of big trout do, just ran right at me. Mm-hmm. And um, she was between John and I, probably 10 yards max between us. And, um, she came up just huge head shake and, and we're in knee deep water and she's just the biggest trout I'd seen up to that point. And, um, she came off. Are you, uh, I'm not kidding you. The, the skitter walk flew right by my ears like, Oh no. And I'd caught a lot of big fish, but that one, I'm telling you, my hands were shaking. My knees were weak. I just, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I just, I bent down and just, put my hands on my knees and just took a deep breath. I, I just could not believe it. So long story short, I, I head back to the boat and, um, and we, we fished our way back and I went back to the boat and I called my partner that was, because it was the week before a trout master tournament. So I called him up. I said, man, you need to get down here. You need to learn this bar. And I'd fished it a bunch, but he, he hadn't fished it. So I said, I want you to come figure this out. Come, come down here. And, um, 45 minutes later, we get back, and we're back on the same flat, and I had a, a um, super devil on. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me back up a little bit. So once he realized, once John realized that I'd, I'd calmed down, just like, you know, it, it, was, it was what it was, right? It was gone. Yeah. And uh, he said, what was that you were saying about the triple grips? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, that was a brand new lure. I hadn't even had a chance to change the hooks out on that one. Anyway, 45 minutes later, we go back, and um, I end up sticking that that 11 pounder. And when we we tried to revive her, I tried to revive mm-hmm. her. Thank God, John had a. I think he had a camera or a phone, so we were able to get a picture. And we tried to release her, and she just would go off about two foot and just belly straight up. Mm-hmm. Worked on her for a long time. She just would not swim away. So, unfortunately, she's on the wall. And what was her measurements again? Uh, you know, I measured her 32 and a half inches and um, 11 pounds, just just on the dot. And um, the taxidermist told me that he was that she was over 33 when I took her to the oh taxidermist. Now, I'd, I don't know how he got there, but that's what 32 and a half was what I saw. Copy that. So, I want to ask you, though. So, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm also looking. You got, you know, a myriad of different texas coast maps on a wall what's your favorite complex to fish oh, man, if you I'm had kinda, to choose one i really or give I'm, me your top I'm, three give yeah, me your top, top three top three is yeah. easy okay. so so that'd be baffin baffin is definitely my my top yeah um mansfield would be my second and east matagorda east matagorda has been a love hate i've had a love hate relationship with east matagorda but the last I don't know, three or four years, it's just, it's been phenomenal. The size of fish that are coming through there. It's just crazy. I love that little bay system. Yeah, so uh, I've fished all three, 
Uh, and so I, I spent a lot of time obviously down in here in kind of upper Laguna Baffin complex. Uh, but I've had an opportunity to go ahead and fish East Maddie a couple times with a friend of mine, Ian Bellevue. He listens to the podcast. So Ian shout out. Um, and then obviously down there with, uh, Mike and Tricia fishing, you know, down in Mansfield. And so really that was my true first exposure to the Texas coast was fishing down in Mansfield with Mike. And so good place to start that flipped the script, honestly, for me. So I'd been targeting big fish in Mississippi for uh, a couple of years and obviously growing up in Louisiana. And so you have kind of these, uh, ideas, theories about, you know, Hey, what fish do kind of during their life cycle and kind of during the year and everything else. And so, but going down there, that was like, I haven't pushed the boundaries enough and I truly don't know anything uh, super shallow water complex. Yep. Um, and so that was awesome. And then going to fish East Matagorda cause I want to finish up with Baffin. And I think you'll, I'm kind of interested to hear some more of your thoughts, but East Matagorda, uh, very, very interesting, very unique as well. Uh, really the first time I ever went there with Ian, probably one of my best individual days in terms of actual stringer. I think I had five fish that were close to 39 pounds. Wow. It was insane. It was a, we had a really really good bite that day um to say the least and so but it was weird because we found them we stayed on them and then pretty much just flipped this you know flipped the switch and it was off and then ever since 10 we've been back maybe four or five times i mean we've had marginal success the best and i mean we fished through majors and minors and we're trying to do our homework and so it shows i guess the true kind of ebb and flow of that base system where you can have literally like once in a lifetime type days and mm-hmm. then spend the rest of your life trying to duplicate that. But the last is Baffin. And anybody who asks me as a dude who's not from the Texas coast, but has now fished here now going on five years, Baffin to me has the most mystique. I mean, I agree with that. The aura, like just waiting in those waters there, obviously with the worm rock and everything else, like just setting foot in that place, there is just this mystique about it. So tell us about maybe a little, you know, one of your most memorable Baffin catches. We've had several great trips to, to Baffin, but uh, again, you know, like I said, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for, for John, but he found a school of fish. I think he was actually fishing with Jay and David when they were down one weekend and uh, found this school of fish, invited me to go with him, and we got on just a tremendous bite, uh, several sevens, eights. It was from sun up, darn near to sundown. You know, mm-hmm. they'd slow down a little bit, but we caught all day long. Mm-hmm. It was just a phenomenal day, and it was just in one pothole. <laughs> it was just incredible. It was That's just insane. absolutely incredible, and... Um, it just the the pothole was probably I don't know twenty yards long, maybe fifteen yards wide, and I, I just don't understand how many how that many fish big can fish. stack up. That big yeah. fish can stack up in a pothole like that. It was just phenomenal. It was a great day, great day. But that worm rock and and all those mounds. I mean, it's just and so for folks listening on the East Coast, you know Baffin's. Uh, obviously set back kind of in the middle lower coast uh, here in the Texas coast. And what it has is very unique to a lot of the, actually, I think all the base systems here in the Texas coast. And so it has this calcified worm rock and they 
everybody calls it worm rock and it's very very unique it's not like oyster or anything like that but it grows in i mean these enormous mounds I oh mean, yeah size of like cars cars <laughs> yeah it's remarkable and, and that was one of the things i'd always heard not growing up from here is that baffin as many big trout as it's as it gives up it claims in lower units absolutely <laughs> so, absolutely but um anyway i don't want to digress so we want to talk about corkies and kind of your approach to those. And I'm sure our listeners want to hear that as well, because I've, you know, I've thrown a corky. I feel very, that's actually my favorite lure. Uh, people have asked me, you know, Hey, if you had one lure to throw, I've, I typically ask this actually in a podcast, if you had one lure to throw, what it would be. And so mine is actually a, a corky fat boy, uh, to steal, you know, the words from Mike McBride, cause I think he put it succinctly is that you can fish it shallow, you can fish it deep, you can fish it fast, you can fish it slow. It, it has the adaptability certainly here in the Texas coast and the citation data certainly backs that up. Uh, because like you've seen over the, or most folks have seen over the course of the last three years, the data that I do share on the page is that almost like 80% of all the winter catches come on a quirky fat boy. And actually when Eric Botnick was on here, I shared that information with him and he was like, man, I didn't know that. So, but, so tell us a little bit about, let's start with your, you know, the regular fat boy, uh, verse, and then we'll go over to the floater. So tell me a little bit about kind of your approach and how you would throw them, how you work them and stuff like that. It's funny. The first time I fished a quirky fat boy, I've been fishing the originals for a while after, after getting my butt kicked by John Gill and um, the first person that I remember fishing a corky uh, fat boy successfully was was Kevin Cochran. Mm-hmm. So John and I and, and Kevin are fishing Yarborough one day, and uh, I tied one on first thing that morning. I tied it on, and I asked I asked Kevin, "So what are you doing? How are you working it?" And I work, you know, just started working it where I thought was was would be effective. And he's no, no, don't, no, don't, don't stuck a seven and a half. <laughs> And next cast, I stick another almost eight. And he's like, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, you, you have to just play with it a little bit. You got to find where they're going to be in the, in the water column, you know, according to the depth. And it's, it's just for me, it's trial and error. It's, it's, I have a certain cadence that I start with every time I mm-hmm. start, start fishing with a fat boy. Um, but, um, and it could, you know, I may vary it until I get, entice them to, to, to bite but most of my, most of the time it's a three pop cadence you know find find where they're going to be in the, in the water column or what i think they where they, i think they should be how long the, the the lure will sink and nine times out of ten they'll hit them on the on the uh on the stop mm-hmm. so it's just a three pop cadence stop it let it sit for a few seconds and you know, most of the time, if they're there, they're going to hit it. Yeah, talk us uh, so about your rod angle. So I'm, I'm again, uh, probably a little bit different. So the way I work my corkies is I'm similar, actually, um, but I'm a jig fisherman growing up, you know, in the southeast Louisiana uh, areas. And so, you know, throwing heavy jigs, deep water. I, I've learned to fish with my rod tip pretty much at like between the 10 and 11 o'clock. And in that way, you know, you work in that bait, you're obviously having contact when you're down, you know, 12, 15 foot of water. And so now it's kind of transcended itself. That's kind of how I work kind of almost everything in terms of my rod angle is kind of between 10 and 11 o'clock. So 
I'm like you, I'm working that dog or I'm walking the dog two, three count cadence. I'll sit it. And what I'll do is I'll reel, reel in a little bit of slack and just kind of do a slow lift up to that 11 o'clock, almost like I'm working a jig. And then what I'll do is I'll kind of reel in my slack and kind of lower my rod. And typically when that happens, that's when I'll pump that's it. That's exactly right. Now, uh, that's sounds like that's about what I do. Okay. Now, I learned the hard way, though. I will tell you, when when I first started, I was at 12 o'clock. Okay. You know, when, when, when I reeled the slack up, I was at 12 o'clock. And then you'd get your thump, and you don't have a whole don't lot know. of rod to, right. to, to, to stick. So I learned that you got to give yourself some space to be able to set the hook. So, yeah, yeah I'm about 10, 10 to 11 as well. Yeah, So because uh, I also know a lot of friends of mine that also – uh, they'll keep their rod at like a nine o'clock and then they'll just kind of either like speed up their hand, like their real mm -hmm. handle, you know, and just kind of, and it typically when they're setting the hook, they're kind of setting it to the side or kind of off to the right. I'm almost again, like a vertical jig fisherman where they'll pump that and then I'm, I'm coming straight back over the top of my head like that. Um, so, all right. So quirky fat boys. So tell, talk to me now you have one in your hand. I gave one to you that way. It kind of helps. <laughs> When you're describing it, it right? It's beautiful too. I know it's a it's a beautiful day glow mirror lure, uh, and then we got a Texas custom lures, you know, custom corky right here in that bay mistress color. Uh, but um, if you were to get that, because Caleb McCumber, I mean Tobin Strickland, everybody kind of does it differently. So if you were to pull that lure, which it is actually a brand new lure, I got it from Mirror Lure yesterday. Um, if you were pulling it right out the pack, what do you do with it? I don't do anything. Really? I, I'll bend the back just a little bit just to round it off, but I never bend the tail. I've just, I've my in my experience, I don't do it. I've just never mm -hmm. done it. Now, um, my fishing partner, John Loetta, will do it every now and then mm -hmm. when it's a little bit tougher bite, and he's he's had some success. But I usually get it out of the wrapper, and I'll bend bend the back just to round it off just a little bit, but I do not bend the tail. I've just interesting. I've my success rate is, I mean, I I like what I do. I don't change it. <laughs> it works. I don't change much. <laughs> so I, you know, I I see a lot of people that bend the tail, and yeah. I just I've never prescribed to that. Yeah. So I obviously, I haven't fished that one yet. But that bay mistress that's sitting right there, that floater, uh, obviously it's got teeth marks on it, it's and beautiful. so it works for me. Uh, but I do, I typically kind of give it like a little 45, just a little bit, um, to kind of, I don't know, I, again, it's just kind yeah. of maybe motions or, or going through the motions. I know Caleb, you know, McCumber and, and kind of what he's talked about and Tobin, a lot of people bend the nose down, bend the whatever, right. You kind of just kind of yep. find what works for you. And so when I was talking with Bruce and Paul Brown, actually in that podcast, you know, one of the things that we we're talking about is, and you kind of alluded to it was, fishing these lures with success you kind of i call it driving the bait you got to drive the bait you got to test drive it you have to do it over and over sometimes to finally get it but once you do you're that much better of an angler so what do you decide so you have a floater you have a, a sinking fat boy in front of you how do you go ahead and make the distinction of what you're going to throw and, and kind of give us an idea of those for, conditions for me, it's, it's pretty simple if if i'm if i'm shallow it's automatically going to be a floater and that's that's what i love that's just fishing shallow, trying to trying to stalk big trout. That's that's just what does it for me. Um, they won't always hit a, a, a floater when you're shallow. Sometimes you do have to go to a jig, and I've caught several on the, on the jig before. But I just the 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 bite of a corky is there's just nothing like it, man. I it, that's what does it for me. So I'm always going to start off with a corky. Uh, 
Well, I say always in summertime, obviously you don't want to do that. Not always anyway, but, uh, depends on the conditions. But if I'm, if I'm fishing the floater, I'm shallow and mm. that's what I love to do. Yeah. I love stalking. And, you know, I've caught several fish, um, just being able to see them in a pothole, um, and, you know, getting up there and, and seeing them before they see you and, and just being able to get them to, to bite a corky for me, that, that's, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. For all me. right. So let's segue, right? Cause you were, you were alluding to it and that's sight fishing, big trout. So the only trout that I've actually seen, um, I've never seen any wading, uh, was actually when I was in Indian river lagoon, actually it was in a banana river. Uh, on the IRL or off the IRL when I lived in Florida and we were pushing down a mangrove bank and I was at Mellow Banshee Extreme and I was just pushing down as by myself and uh, I saw just these huge trout just cruising in and out of those mangroves and in true Florida fashion those fish were so line shy it was ridiculous mm-hmm. I mean you flip the bail you know you click the button on your reel and they're gone um, so I'm interested because never in and I tried to channel kind of your inner sight fishing capabilities this morning because you know i went this morning the the weather was was perfect overcast skies low sky not a whole lot of wind but had some um and the water was beautiful fishing over grass looking at potholes and what i noticed was that bait was pulled up super high there was really a little bit of bait deep fish deep to start i say deep like thigh deep nothing there kind of pulled up onto that flat because they had a lot of mullet up on there and uh, there were actually a lot of reds in drum, and I was just waiting to just walk into a big trout because mm-hmm. um, I knew we were doing this podcast, but it never happened. And so, so talk to us about, you know, sight fishing, what you're looking for, your thought process, and and that. I, I think the trick for me is um, just go slow and be aware, completely aware of your surroundings. Just no and and i learned this you know i didn't i didn't learn it overnight i uh, had to figure it out with trial and error obviously but um watching the just the water and how it ripples there's a difference between a mullet and a trout and it took me a while to figure that out but i i think i've locked in pretty good but i think most people think that they can just you know just walk through a stretch of water and and boom there it is it's it's not that easy you might just see something out of the corner of your eye that just looks off it just doesn't look it doesn't fit the grass or the pothole or whatever i caught an eight pounder in baffin a few years back in in a tournament and um i i thought it was a log it was just sitting there and it was shoot it was probably 40 yards away and um, was it on sand or on grass it was on sand yeah and and there was there was grass scattered yep, in yep. there, but it was a big sand pocket. And um, I sat there for a little while and just studied it, and then it moved. Like, all right, so you you know you're throwing a corky. Yeah, so you and, you sight fish with oh, yeah, a corky, I, and okay. I, I and I and landed it, but um, I casted probably twenty yards in front of it, mm-hmm. and just waited for her to swim to it. Because that was direction she was going. She was going slow, mm-hmm. so you have to be really patient. But I, I, I just think that most anglers just think they're going to walk through a flat and boom, there's a trout. You just, you're, you, all your senses have to be on point. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I, I'm, I'm nobody, but um, they, 
that's been my success. You've got to go slow and just watch everything that's moving. So how do you decide, though, on, like, what type of flat? So, like, again, as I described this morning, it was actually kind of like a main bay shoreline, beautiful grass. Um, it, it, and, again, that water was it was perfect, right? It was right below the knee. Uh, you had just a good solid grass. You did kind of have like that checkered board pattern of kind of like sand pockets and grass. And it was kind of some longer grass and then closer to the bank, uh, gave way a little bit more to kind of that, kind of that worm rock. Mm -hmm. And so I had a little bit of depth there too. And actually a lot of the reds were cruising along those, but you could see just a lot of that mullet just kind of, you know, meandering in and out of that stuff. And occasionally a bird would fly over. They, they'd, you know, they go crazy. And then, you know, then you'd see kind of like a, a predatory wake, you know, where you see like a big fish kind of pushing through, could have been a drum or something like that. But so how, how do you differentiate between, you know, obviously that, that flat and they, they may be there. They just maybe weren't there today, but how do you differentiate between us, you know, a flat that's going to produce that other way that's going to hold big trout that you're going to be able to sight fish versus others? You know, that's, it's, it's hard to, to nail that down. I, I, I think, it's hard to teach somebody how to do it. it mm-hmm. You know, you um, you can do it by fishing with someone, and that's that's how I've learned. But uh, to try to tell somebody, look for this, look for that, mm-hmm. it, it's it's just you just know. I, I I can't put it any other way. I uh, I we were in an area that has deep water access, mm-hmm. so in the winter time, so you know we that's what we like to target in in the in the winter when get a cold front come in, they're going to drop off and sun comes back out. They're going to come up on the flat and that's exactly what happened. And that's why we were there. Gotcha. That's why we were, we were hunting those, those fish. We, you know, at the time we didn't know they were there, but, uh, they were there and there was a lot of them. Good, <laughs> good time. I bet. It was good time. What's the biggest fish you ever sight fished? Oh, or biggest trout you ever sight fished? I had an eight, eight, six in, uh, in the legends, the uh, the Port Aransas legends okay. that um, our my team won team of the year. We 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 got really 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 lucky. Talk about the stars aligning. Uh, so tell every, us about that. Yeah, tell us about that day. So it's actually funny, man. I I've got a great team. I Travis McKee, John Loetta, those guys are freaking hardcore. Love them to death. They're my brothers. But um, it's funny. I I I didn't ask them. I told them, stay out of this bay system. It's, it's, it's everybody and their brothers in there. Don't go there. And, um, they called me Friday afternoon and said, man, we found something. I said, okay. So where? And they told me where, and I was like, son of a gun. Are you kidding me? I told y'all. I said, okay, so what's going to happen if the weekend warrior comes in and, and they had an answer for every question. So yeah. I said, all right, that's our game plan. And, uh, it worked out that, that day, um, Travis caught a six pounder right darn near out of the boat, so kind of took the edge off. Oh my God! And um, I side casted with a jig because there was a lot of floating grass, so I had a jig on, a uh, weedless jig, and saw. I didn't see the trout, but I saw the ripple. I knew it was a fish, a real fish, not just a mullet. And I casted over it because it was swimming away from me, and I made a long cast. I was probably. I don't know, seven or eight yards ahead of her and um, or ahead of the ripple anyway, because again, I, I couldn't see her. The sun just wasn't right. I couldn't see her. But the line hit her back mm-hmm. and spooked her and mm-hmm. she just torpedoed right next to me. I, so I knew it was on to something. 
And I don't know, about 30 minutes later, same kind of ripple, shortened my cast, because again, swimming away from me, shortened my cast about a foot and a half in front of her and hit the water, jigged it, and thunk, she, she ate it. Comes out of the water, you know, and she's green and, and actually pretty close. So I'm nervous as heck and uh, put my rod tip down and thinking, you know, she's coming completely out of the water. I mean, she's breached two or three times mm-hmm. and she's, you know, four foot out of the water. Not down happy. Near. And, yeah, not happy at all. And uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, I got to let her go, got to let her go. No, 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 I got I to reel. I got no, just you, all kinds of stupid stuff happens to you when you, when you hook one. And I, the whole time I'm thinking, you know, she's a solid six pounder. And um, I did not give her any slack. Mm-hmm. I went ahead and just, you know, she took drag, obviously, but I, I didn't just let her free spool. So let her take a little drag, fought her for a little bit, got her in, boga gripped her, and started walking her back to the boat. And uh, never really pulled her out, just boga, made sure my boga grip was on her good and walked her back to the boat. And um, got her to the boat, live wheel was already pumping, had oxygen going. And I, as I'm lifting her into live wheel, I went ahead and checked the boga, and she was over eight pounds, like, whoo, oh that's that's good <laughs> that's really yeah. good so luckily we caught redfish that we caught a couple redfish that day loetta had a good fish on as well and um uh, like i said the stars aligned for us we came out of third place and ended up getting team of the year yeah but i mean team of the year is is you know success across all the events so i mean what were y'all's finishes that year oh that's a good question um i think we finished eighth in um Galveston, mm-hmm. eighth or ninth, something like that. And that year they had, I think they had four tournaments. And we we bombed Corpus. I I just, it was horrible. That's your backyard. Too. I know, man. I just, I don't know what happens to us when we, we I, I, it just doesn't make any sense. But anyway, and then we, uh, I think we did well in, in, in Matagorda. I think that's what it was. I think we got fourth or fifth, something like that in Matagorda. So we were... We were in the running, but and we were competing against Jake Ludicky, Clayton Wessels, and Brett Sweeney, and those guys had won two in a row. Yeah, that's they were freaking on fire, and uh, luckily we. So they that year they took the best weight out of three events, so they could we could kick one bad tournament. Thank God for that. You could kick one bad one out, and uh, because of that, we were able to compete. That's awesome. Good time, man. That was good memories. Lots of fun. Like I said, the stars aligned for us for that one. For all of them, actually, to be honest with you. Everyone, I want to take a quick second and recognize one of our podcast sponsors, and that is Mirlore. Time-tested and proven pretty much in every saltwater angler's arsenal. Uh, And they make just a tremendous lineup of products from the 17MR and the 27MR, which is your Miradine lineup, as well as the... Uh, top water lineup to include my personal favorite which is the she dog they also make a, a pretty solid lineup of uh, soft plastics as well to include the little john the little john xl as well as the mirror lore provoker but we can't forget about the all-time favorite the paul brown series to include the paul brown fat boy soft deans and soft dean xls so i want to thank mirror lore for sponsoring the podcast they've been incredibly paramount to speckle truth as well as the podcast and we highly encourage you to go support them and entitle mirror lore and turn on the bike 
Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout angler's arsenal. With great fish catching colors, my personal favorites, Texas Turnip, Bay Mistress, Plum Nasty, to name a few. It's easy to see how these things produce time and time again. So next time you're targeting that next big bite, I highly encourage you to fish the original custom Corky. And remember, the big girls aren't colorblind. So you you said it earlier too, like the Trout Master Series and all that stuff. And I mean, talking with Bruce and, and Jay Wright, right? And, and obviously Jay Watkins and McBride. And, and as we're kind of reflecting, actually with Bruce Ball last season, I was I was actually kind of in shock because I mean how remarkable of an angler you had to have been like to fish against that crew right not only that crew but then you th- you know you throw in the Cliff Webs of the world and, oh and those gosh. guys right I mean yeah. so <laughs> I mean it's a little steep competition right that's there so I mean do you feel steep. like that that's still you know the the competitors that are now in legend series are are kind of also kind of writing their own script in terms of their time frame in terms of being like the next generation of like absolutely trout masters yeah. if you will. absolutely i mean you think about fishing against jay watkins one of the best fishermen if not the best fisherman in the gulf coast i've not i've never fished with him so i can't say that he's the best mm-hmm. but he obviously has the uh, the accolades to back that up and cliff webb um, competed against those guys. I, I actually watched them, unfortunately, kick my tail in uh, in Baffin, uh, right around the Badlands one year. We Robert and I were fishing it, and Robert Olds, and um, we roll in there first thing in the morning, and we had it all to ourselves. But the wind was blowing out of the north, and just man, we could not get anything but redfish. We just we knew the trout were there; they just did not want to feed. So we moved off a little bit. Um, we were probably within 200 yards of the of the sweet spot, and the wind started to lay, started to shift out of the south a little bit, and the bait activity picked up. So I started to head back. The boat was too far to try to get the boat and move it, so I just started to head back, and Robert was closer to the boat. Anyway, long story short, I looked to my left, to the east, and uh, here comes the little lake and bay, and they slid right in, and I mean, and, and that and. I just have so much respect for them to know because they weren't there all day. Mm-hmm. They just knew when to roll in, and they rolled in at the perfect time. I, I heard Jay say because the wind was blowing right in my face, <laughs> and I, I just all I could do was just watch and put on a show. And Jay's like, "That was a six pounder. Just went, just missed my top water completely." He's like, "Oh my gosh!" And <laughs> yeah, they they rolled in, but. There's definitely some some fishermen that that we're competing against now, and thank God that Jay's retired from tournaments because we probably wouldn't do as well as we have been. But uh, you know, you look at Jimmy Lloyd and and uh, um, and his partners, uh, Cody Barton. Those guys are freaking tremendous anglers. I I wouldn't be surprised if if Jimmy's won, or you know maybe won the most tournaments, including redfish and trout trout tournaments. That guy's He's just unbelievable, and he's got a strong team to, to back him up too. It's just a lot of new anglers. It's good to see some some younger guys getting in there and competing. It's uh, 
it, it's just a blast for me. I, you know, I love the competition. I played softball once I got out of high school. I played sports all through high school. Once I got out of high school, I started playing softball. When I moved to Corpus, played a little flag football with some guys. And uh, so I've always competed. And then once I got the the uh, the fish bite, got me a little bit. Then uh, And Gil was competing and doing real well back then. Um, and fishing, fishing with Gil and learning what I learned from him, I just – it was natural for me to start competing in, in mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's so much good competition now. It's for, for us to, to compete and be even considered in the top 10 is, is awesome for us. Oh, and, and not only that, I mean, obviously winning team of the year, but it, I follow, you know, legend mm-hmm. series and I follow, you know, the posts on social media and things like that, just because, you know, as a, as a competitor, I, I played, you know, high school and college athletics and play baseball. Um, and so, you know, that competitive edge and, you know, I was talking about, you know, fish and redfish tournaments earlier mm-hmm. with my, my partner, Brandon Treadway, we both played for Delgado community college baseball. And so we're like ultra competitive and it's interesting cause I'm typically not a, a truly competitive person by nature. No, I want, but, to be, I want to beat you at everything, but so, <laughs> all right. So we got a little last dance coming in here right now with, with Michael Jordan, Leroy Navarro. <laughs> no, but I, I'm with you. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I, I, me, maybe it's a competition against myself and knowing I can do better and being the best that I can be. But then as a team, you know, in putting in the effort to, to pre fish and then coming up with a game plan and then, having that game plan go completely out the window because the wind shifted and now blew out all your water, it blew out a spot or something like that. And now you got to go to plan B and then C and then everything else, right? Yep. There's there's something to be said for making those on-water adjustments. But as a competitor, when when it pans out, I mean, it's like literally hitting like a buzzer beater three. Absolutely. You know, so I mean, talk talk to maybe one of y'all's best, uh, you know, uh, legends or, or really a tournament moment that really stands out to you where you're just like, Oh my God, obviously you told us about the stars aligning, but was there one where you just emotions kind of ran wild? Yeah. The, uh, the last one we won, which was Freeport and, and what an honor to win the, uh, tournament where Paul Brown is, you know, oh. inducted to the saltwater hall of fame. That's just, that's awesome. That's I'll for the rest of my life, I will never forget that. So it was awesome just to win that tournament Mm -hmm. they're all they're all you know just winning one tournament is is incredible but that one just will stick in my mind for the rest of my life but we had really tough conditions um the tide fell out and we we fished east matagorda the tide fell way out and the fish moved on us and and it took us a while to, to find them and um had a had a good sack we went to plan a and plan A just we we caught a redfish there, but there was it was had both trout and redfish and mm-hmm. good good trout, really nice solid trout. Tide fell out and trout were gone, redfish were still there. Um, so we caught our redfish there, went went um, to a different spot to plan B, and same thing. Tide had fallen out and and I could hardly even get my boat in where I wanted to mm-hmm. get in, but um, stuck. A couple good fish and we we literally i think we might have i think travis might have had two bites and caught one 
I had one bite and caught it. I think John had one bite and caught it. It was mm-hmm. that kind of fishing day yeah. for us. Um, and the second day, you know, we went to where we caught our trout, and then we we had two trout. John had his, and Travis had his, and it was getting late, so we said, man, we need to go get our redfish. So we crossed the bay, went and got our redfish, and um, and we had I hooked a huge redfish, got it back to the boat, and measured it, and it it was too big, too long. So as i'm getting back out of the boat loetta stuck one and so we're we've got a redfish it wasn't anything special it was maybe five pounds I, f- I forget what size it was so now the pressure's on me mm-hmm. i gotta i gotta get my big trout in the boat and uh slide back in nobody's moved in on us and we we pretty much stayed to ourselves the whole time and that's i love that we, and that's what we try to focus on we we <clears throat> don't want to be cut off we don't mm-hmm. want anybody in our you yeah. know and that's those places are hard to find yes sir very hard to find so fortunately we had a spot that that nobody was messing with slid back in i don't know i was in i was on that flat probably an hour something like that and stuck an eight pounder that's that and and you it just like, describe your emotion i mean i just and it <sighs> true story true story Travis sees me hook this fish, and she ran right by her, or by him, and uh, he swears that he looked up at the sky, and the clouds looked like a fish. No kidding. Swear. So that's that's his story, and uh, we're you know it it took me a long time to get that fish in. We we headed in, and obviously the rest is history. But man, we had you know. Uh, Clayton and and Jake and Sweeney came in and uh, they had a huge sack and and fortunately we had enough of a lead that they didn't they didn't catch us but uh, that the emotions were just unbelievable just to be able to pull it off under pressure like that mm-hmm. that's just that's it's, that's that's what does it for me I mean I I it, love that it really is like you know in terms of sport and competition if you are competitive and you've played, you know, organized sports or things like that, like, and being successful in that moment where the pressure is at the, at the highest, um, it's amazing how much emotion you have. Oh yeah. I mean, me and my, you know, again, my tournament partner, uh, Brandon, we were, there was one spot actually in Lafitte, we ended up finishing third and now I want to talk to that in a sec here a sec. Um, but, uh, anyway, we had, I think we had like close to 15 and a half pounds, and anyway, we push in this last pond and uh, we got like 10 minutes before we roll out, you know. And so all of a sudden we just see randomly in the middle of this pond, we pitch to this fish. She eats and get her in a boat. And we upgrade to like 16 and a quarter. We're like, nice. oh my God. So, but I mean, so as soon as he puts the nets, nets on, net on her, puts her in a boat, obviously now we're talking redfish, which I despise now, <laughs> FYI. <laughs> um, but it was it was competing with a friend and it was, you know, again, trying to put our, our best foot forward. And when we put that, you know, we knew that we had just limited moments, minutes left to fish. We finally upgraded. We felt that that was enough and putting that fish in a live well. I mean, we were babysitting her all the way back, but I mean, we we're hugging we're like, hell yeah, you know, oh, you yeah. did it, you know, and just, you know, bear hugging and just being super stoked and on the way back in, you're like, yeah. And so I want to talk to you about that because that was always something that kind of bit us in the butt. Uh, they always call us the bubble boys, man. We're so efficient, IFA and HT3 and all that stuff. And 
I mean, we were like literally one place out the money. We finished top 10 team of the year and everything else, but we would always be like, it seemed like one place out of the money for <laughs> half the damn events. But, um, but no, so, you know, you, you obviously catch that fish and catch that sack. Now you're driving back and in knowing that the, the competition is stiff, the stress doesn't end when you just no, caught that fish, right? No, no, And you see, you know, you're competing against Jay Ray and, and, and Steckler and his, those guys, and you just never know what they're going to bring in. You, you just don't know. But we didn't think we could do any better than what we had. It was just really, really, really tough fishing. Um, and, you know, it is what it is. You know, yeah. that, that's our, 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 our attitude at that point is we're rolling what we got. We're running out of time. Um, you know, we have to, the little lift bridge that we have to contend with. So yeah. we, we want to make sure that we're not late and anything can happen, you know, just cause you catch a nice sack doesn't mean you're not going to break down on the way back. And, you know, you just got it, there's so, so much many to variables. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So <clears throat> we gave ourselves a little bit of time, but when I look back and, and, and we were, we were early, probably the earliest we've ever been to a tournament cause we're usually rolling in right at the last freaking minute. But, yeah. uh, I look back and we're trolling into the harbor and and there's Jake and those boys and I'm like oh no, <laughs> that tells me they got them, and like I said they made up some ground but it, it was fortunately for us, um, um, they didn't they didn't have as big a sack so thank God for that. Thank goodness. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Leroy. I really do. Those are cool. I, I love. I could see it in your in your face right now and right. You're just going back to that time and that moment. You know, and, and obviously understanding that that's super special. Now, um, I'm not going to do this for all three, but, you know, obviously Mansfield, Mansfield is one of those places, right? That's just oh, yeah. so unique. Tell us about uh, maybe a special fish from that, from that complex. My best day in Mansfield, we've had a lot of great memories. Um, winning the tournament down there was super, super special. Um, talk about just being, being, totally lucky we're, we're all blessed all all three of us are totally blessed but um we were we we're literally down there pre-fishing and um true story we're fishing and just not having very good luck and i get on google i just dropped travis and maverick i believe maverick's our 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 sub if one of us gets hurt or can't fish he, mm-hmm. he's our backup and maverick valeski he uh pre-fishes with us all the time and he puts in some work too he he's always willing and able to go so really appreciate him but um i think it was us three and i just dropped him off on a on a spoil bank and i pulled my phone up looked at google and it's like look at that shoreline i've never fished that why have i never fished that mm-hmm. and pull in there and stick a couple good trout you know, it was like, wow, that's freaking, that's awesome. It was the first time we'd ever fished it. I hit a school of redfish, caught a bunch of redfish, and caught some nice trout. The first time we ever fished it, it was, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, um, we ended up coming back to it. Nobody was in it, and it's a it's a pretty popular area, And come to find out. And um, we had it to ourselves. For the most part, we had some drifters come through, and, and um, again, we— I caught a six pounder. I, I think again, Travis or John, I can't remember which, ha- had the first keeper fish over twenty five. Put it in the boat and um, got. I got a six pounder finally, 
got it in the boat, and then I said, that's it. And, and where we were fishing, there was a little tabletop that dropped off, and then you had some little moguls just off of it that had grass mm-hmm. on top. It was a beautiful structure. And um, we were still getting bit, catching fish, culling fish, and after I put my six-pounder in the live well, I said, I'm done, I'm going shallow. And made a big loop on this flat, and on my way back towards where we had started around the tabletop, I was probably 300 yards away, and 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 I'm in shin deep water, mm-hmm. and just see never saw the fish, but I saw you know some potholes, some scattered potholes, and casted a floater in there, a uh, pink floater, and uh, boom, eight pounder. That's just <laughs> that's just awesome. But yeah. that's not my best trip. My my one of our best trips. Um, and that was fun. Don't get me wrong. It, that, that's just incredible to do that well, especially when you just found it a couple weeks prior. But, um, we were fishing, this is, I want to say 2004 or five. And it's me and Gil, a buddy from Houston, Bob Poole, buddy from Houston, Cody, Cody Jordan, um, and some friends of, of, of Gil's from Houston. And we fished a certain area on Saturday, and all we caught was redfish. And and we've historically we've caught good trout there. So the tide falls out a little bit on Sunday, and I started somewhere else. And we're in separate boats. Um, I've got three three guys with me. I think John's got four guys with him. And I started somewhere else, and and I I didn't know where John was going to start that morning. Swing back around, and, and there's John right where we had fished the day before and caught nothing but redfish, and there's a slick right in front of us. It's like that son of a gun. So idled in, and, and he waved us in. He said, come on in. So we slid in right behind him, and we had, I, I want to say it was 32 or 34 fish over six pounds. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was just yeah. incredible. It was phenomenal. And... uh that's the, the the second cover I had made for the um, um, Texas, Texas Saltwater. Salt yeah, it was the – and I didn't even have the biggest trout. Mine was nine nine and a quarter. Oh there was a nine and a half caught that day, but I'm, I'm just a lot more photogenic than the other guy. <laughs> but, uh, but great, great time, good memories. Oh Everybody Lord. was catching fish. It, it was it was Would just catch a blast. One? All of them were fat boys, God. every single one of them. I can't think of any anyone catching – on anything but fat boys Mm. and it was it was just an awesome bite they were they were hungry and all it took was just the tide fell out maybe two inches it's crazy it's such a shallow water area you know that complex is so i love it i absolutely love that place uh it's so unique obviously um but it's it's certainly one of those again like i was talking about before where you know you're running around in february <clears throat> after a good little cool snap and still seeing some big fish pushed, pushed up shallow. Oh yeah. Real shallow. And you're oh, like, yeah. okay, what I thought I knew about big trout. I don't know a whole lot about big trout right now. So, and I know that's not necessarily the case for every single complex. Cause that complex is that unique, but it just shows the tolerability of those big, big, yep. big, big fish. And so yep. with that, I mean, you, you obviously find a lot of the, your bigger fish are kind of hanging with redfish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when a big school like that, I'm not necessarily because right. I don't think we caught a single redfish the right. the second day. 
but they were the redfish were stacked up the first day. But yeah, historically you you'll find you know you'll get a couple of redfish mixed in. Um, what we've learned is even schools of redfish, there'll be big trout under schools of redfish and drum. It just I mean we've learned that over the years. Um, just you know you drive by a school of drum and you know most of the time we just keep going. Well now we put the troll down and chase them for a little while and try to get under them. Try to see. You know, and yeah. we've we've caught some trout. Some decent trout under there, mm-hmm. but yeah, they'll they'll. There's times that they're mixed. Unfortunately for us, in tournaments, you know the man the uh, the uh, Mansfield tournament was a little bit different. The redfish weren't necessarily mixed in; they were off a little bit, mm-hmm. and same general area, but they weren't mixed with the red with the trout. Um, and that's been our Achilles' heel for for years. We'll you know we'll come in with a good sack of trout, and we won't have darn redfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just and like you, what's the slot on a red? Is it 27? 20, 20, 28. 28, okay. Yeah. And like you, I cursed them for years. And <laughs> I, I still do. I, I, I did some redfish tournaments, Octai, and I did redfish okay, tournaments yeah, back Octai. in the day. And, and we competed, but uh, it's just when you need that sucker and you're in trout water, right, it, they're yeah. so freaking hard to find. And uh, it's even when you think, you know, last year, for example, we did the tournament out of uh, Port A, and we had probably five areas that were holding good redfish. Well, the tide fell out, and they're gone. There, We had a school of redfish that we thought, it's going to take us a while. This was my words, and and I'm the guy that's always uh, the realist of the group. Travis is totally optimistic, always thinks we're going to win. I mean, just, you know— the that's, glass is always half full for for him and John, yeah. and and glass is half full for me as well. But I'm I know that things can change and everything can go wrong. So we have to have you know, and they know that too. But they're just always very optimistic, and I love that about them. But I'm I have to be the realist. And sure enough, the tide fell out, and my exact words at that tournament were. You know, we got to get there early enough because it's going to take us a while to weed through them mm-hmm. and get a good one. Well, there was nothing to weed through. They were all gone. They were just <laughs> gone. I, man, and it, you know, it's funny, Chris, the, um, the tournaments that we go in the most confident that, you know, even with plan C is still a good plan. We haven't done as well at, I, hmm. I can't put my finger on it. I've, I've tried to analyze it and i i just i can't figure it out i mean conditions change obviously fish have tails but um we just the times we're the most confident we think we really got a shot at it we just we we won't do as well as we think we should and brandon polinick i mean uh, you know looking at the uh sandy cooper you know elite series event that they just recently had i mean he went into the event and he's like, that was the worst practice I've ever had. And he ended up winning, right? <laughs> and so he's like, I couldn't find fish. And so he just tried to start piecing it together and just yeah. fishing, right? Mm-hmm. You And I, ta- I asked this to my dad in the first episode, you know, how much do you rely on intuition on the water? And I'll, I'll let you answer because it, it, it probably it's, echoes It's this. 100%. I mean, yeah. it. you know, the trick for us, I think, is knowing when to stay and when to go. And that's just, you, you can't teach that. You If you have the signs, you know they're still there. If there's nothing going on that's Deadsville, it's a Dead Sea, mm-hmm. then you got to pull the plug and go somewhere else. But the toughest decisions we've had to make and, and have been successful is we just plant our feet and, and stick it out and mm-hmm. grind it out. 
and uh, that's when we've done a, you know a little bit better. But um, it, you can't teach that. It's intuition. You just you can't tell a guy, hey, give yourself an hour, and then mm-hmm. if it's not happening, you got to go. Whether the moon, whether you're there at the right time of the moon phase or not, you know. Do I believe in in the moon phase? Absolutely, I I live by them. But how many times have we caught them? You know, out of the moon phase. Uh, right. It just you know you put it in the right place and you and just get it enticed enough to bite it. It's just one of those things. But what I use the the uh, tables for mostly is knowing when not to run. If you know if if I'm about to pull the plug on an area, whether it's just fun fishing or or tournament fishing. It's I'm going to grind it out during the the the, the peak major major minor, or minor. Yeah. I'm going to grind it out during that period and if it just doesn't happen then I can I can run you know to plan B or C in the dead period but um, it's to me it's totally intuition and and the good part about my team our team um, we're always on the same page mm-hmm. it, it's it's just incredible um, we'll get close enough where we can communicate and. Uh, you know, Travis will yell out, 30 more minutes? Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, I'd already been thinking, mm-hmm. we got to pull mm-hmm. the plug. We need to make a move. And uh, Loetta's already making his way back to the boat or whatever. We're, it's just right now we're – we're Sinking up as we're a We're sinking yeah, big absolutely. time. I mean, we are totally in sync. And, like, again, that, I, those guys are good. But that goes to another point that you just recently made, um, which was, you know, those guys are optimistic, and you are as well. Like you had mentioned, you know, a little bit more of a realist, but – you know that's that I that I feel is the largest part of the big trout game, in my opinion. That's the one thing that I had to shift in my brain, especially a guy from Southeast Louisiana who catches a hundred trout, you know, in a day or whatever it was. But that's what I grew up doing, and so yeah, they're a little dink, you know, fish now, you know. But um, the point being though is when you're wanting to target those big fish, you have to kind of curb your mentality to be kind of positive all the time. This this next cast is going to catch them, right? That's it, it. Or this slight move or this modification. Like you have to have extreme confidence. Absolutely. In, you know what I'm saying? In, oh, in yeah. every move you make. And so that's cool to hear that you guys kind of have that, obviously, uh, as part of your team as well. Yep, yep. yep. So, well, I appreciate you, uh, Leroy. We're actually, it's crazy. Uh, we're, we're, we're close to, actually, we're a little over an hour. I know. That went fast. Did it go pretty quick? <laughs> it went really fast. Uh, it, it really did. I want to end up on a, on a few questions, though. So, um, just simple ones. And uh, so, the first is, what are your favorite uh, color uh, quirkies? You know, since the, uh, it, I'm, I'm actually holding my, favorite for a hundred years as long as this color has been out which is a day glow i just this color is incredible but i will say that over the last four or five years as long as lowell's had the uh, gringo out oh yeah oh my gosh that gringo has caught so many fish for us and dirty water clear water it you know that's what i like the versatility of mm-hmm. that lure is just incredible for us we've had great success and obviously we have a lot of confidence in it have a lot of confidence in day glow but for my experience you have to have fairly clear water for a day glow that's mm. been my experience but uh, the gringo all around doesn't matter what the water looks like and mm-hmm. we've had great success with the gringo that's just a pearl white for everybody listening pearl white pink chin uh super simple 
uh, color combination. And uh, what about Plum Nasty? I yeah. like the Plum Nasty. Again, I think I think it's a clear water. For me, it's been a, more of a clear clear water bait. You know, uh-huh. greenish, not necessarily air clear. Air clear is good too, but you know, greenish, greenish green. I mean, greenish clear. <laughs> yeah. A little clarity in it, maybe you know, up to a foot of clarity, and it it does pretty well. Right. I like it. It's it's it'll probably be, and it depends on the situation. If it's air clear, I'm throwing it. But if it's if it's a little off. I'm Gringo's the first one up. That's always my first one up. Gotcha. All right, talk to us a little bit about your setup, so like, what do you typically like to throw? So I rod I have, reels. Yeah, yeah, I've got a um, Shimano uh, Aldebaran. Love that reel. I think it's the uh, lightest reel on the market. Um, just worked out for us. Um, all three of us throw the, basically throw all the same thing. It's a it's a uh, Aldebaran uh, fifty. And the um, well, on a carbon mag, a Waterloo carbon mag. Mm-hmm. Since Jimmy came out with that rod, I've I'm not switching to anything. <laughs> that thing yeah. is, uh, I think, for everything. I can fish corky. I can fish topwater. I can mm-hmm. throw a jig. I think that for me, the my style of fishing, it's the best all around rod I've ever fished. And I I started with G Loomis. I learned that from John Gill, but he was he's still a G Loomis guy, but. Um, I won a Waterloo in a tournament years ago, Robert and I did, and fished with it. It was kind of my backup for a little while and fell in love with it and mm-hmm. loved Jimmy. I think he's a great guy trying to trying to support local business and he he to me he builds a tremendous rod. So I the carbon mag is what I use. I'm my line, I'm a little bit different than my guys. They, we all use suffix, but twenty pound uh braid. But I like Ghost, which is basically a white white line hmm. with a uh, you know nine or ten foot leader tied on. Carbon nine or ten coral. foot. Yeah, I mean as long as it doesn't rule up onto my spool, but I try to I yeah. try to get it as long as I possibly can. Why is that? I just think you want you know I think I want more clarity or or I don't I want that I want the uh, line to be invisible or as much as the line to be invisible. And and retie and I tie a, a loop knot on all my all my lures. So if I'm switching, if it's one of those days where you're switching yeah. a lot, which happens, um, I've got more line to play with. Floral or, or floral, pure floral. Floral, got it. Yeah. So, so I mean, you've pretty much answered all those. So suffix eight thirty two or suffix eight thirty two. Eight thirty two. Oh, uh, that's interesting. So yeah, the nine foot. That's what I was like. Well, okay. Because the only other person I've heard actually tie a super long leader of that kind of length uh, was Jay Wright, which may mm-hmm. explain because obviously him and John Gill fish a whole hell of a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, uh, you know, typically I'm like a four or five foot. Yeah, I mean, I try to, over the course of the day, it obviously gets smaller and smaller right. as I'm changing lures. But typically, if if it gets within two feet, I'm, I'm basically retying. So. Yep. Yep. But I didn't know if you had a specific reason for that nine to ten foot leader. You know, the 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 I'm using a uni knot and as long as it doesn't reel up to my spool, mm-hmm. it, I can cast it just as far gotcha. as I want to cast it. And I want as much clear clear line in the water. Mm-hmm. And and again, if you have to retie a bunch, you know, we've had tournaments where you catch a fish and you won't get another bite for ten casts. Mm-hmm. Change lures, boom, you get another bite. Change lures, you get another bite. It's so Instead of retying your whole leader, you've got you've got enough line that you can retie five or six times with no issues. Gotcha. All right, last question. Um, 
hope I think pretty a pretty simple one, especially based off of an answer that you gave a little bit earlier, which was, do you prefer a full or a new moon or another moon phase? New moon, new um, moon. probably you know three or four days prior to the new moon. Um, I found to be our and and on on the backside as well, three to four days on the backside of full moon or, or new moon, but um, historically the the three or four days prior is where we've had the most success. I'll be damned. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate Leroy, it, Leroy. I really appreciate it, man. Having Thank me you for in here, me. Uh, letting me kind of be part of your world for a while, and obviously had followed you for a long time. Uh, again, kind of as a student of the game. Um, and then obviously out of tremendous respect for you and for many of the guys that are on uh, the Legends series. And so I just want to say thanks again uh, for just allowing me kind of in your environment and let me just kind of talk to you a little bit and appreciate everything that you've shared and being part of the podcast. I know we didn't really talk about conservation a whole hell of a lot, but um, you definitely, you know, kind of set the bar and kind of you know, in terms of like leading by example, lead the way by example of, again, kind of taking care of a resource. And so I really appreciate that as well, because that's something, as we've talked about, just mm-hmm. preparing for the podcast, um, just getting people to kind of grow an appreciation for a resource. And as a result of that appreciation, they'll ultimately want to take care of it. So I appreciate you again, leading by example, sir. Um, okay, so... For everyone else who's still listening, really appreciate you sticking around. I want to say thanks to a couple of sponsors that we've had. Um, so Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky. We talked about some of those baits today. Uh, but we also have Real Sportswear, uh, Down South Lures, and Carbon Line. And so I uh, actually uh, really appreciate all the sponsors uh, for supporting the podcast. That is tremendous because it helps us bring it to you and in these stories, stories like this with Leroy and, and all the other guests that we have throughout season two. So we really appreciate them, show them some love. And I um, always want to always want you guys to know is uh, take care. God bless. And always remember, take take what you need and release the rest. God bless. Yeah.